You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. You guys have a lot of energy. Brett, I heard Brett talking about that backstage, so it's really good to see you all this morning. You're the ones who chose to come out, and some of you are still at home, sometimes in other states or other countries, other parts of the world. We just want to welcome you. We're really glad you're here. So we're in a series called Compelled, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But first, any of you in here love to play dominoes? Anybody? A few of you? Yeah, a few of you. Um, I don't really have a lot of people in my family who are good at dominoes yet. My little guys who may be at home watching live right now, good to see you boys. And uh, they, uh, they're they too little really to kind of get it, it very well yet. So <clears throat> they're not much competition yet. Yeah, they are learning to beat me in just about everything. And so anyway, dominoes at this age, when you have a six, a nine, and 11 year old are more fun to set up as dominoes. You know what I mean? Anybody do these too? Man, I love to go online, YouTube, and look up videos of people who set up dominoes and just watch them knock them all down. I am terrible at them. You know why? Because it takes patience. And I get about 10 of these in. Look at that. They're already shaking. I thought I, thought I was about to lose the whole illustration right there. And that's my problem is I can't stand the idea of knocking them down and starting over, knocking them down and starting over, knocking them down and starting over. And it's like 18 hours worth of work for 30-second payoff. Like, I really, really struggle with that. Well, there's a guy, Dr. Stephen Morris. He figured out that you can actually knock down dominoes, and even when each domino falls, it can knock down a domino one and a half times the size of the one that you previously knocked over. And that what happens is all of the, the weight, the strength of the first domino carries over into the second domino and all that energy gets combined together and then goes into the next domino. Then you add that together and you go to the next domino, you add that together. So that literally, if you started with a five millimeter domino that is one millimeter in thickness, you could put it down and 13 dominoes later, you would be at a... Three foot high domino that weighs 100 pounds. Somebody said, why don't you just use your own height, Pastor? Because <laughs> I'm a hobbit, everybody. And um, 13 dominoes later, you could start with a five millimeter by one millimeter and knock that down. If you were to continue on to the 29th domino, you would have knocked down the Empire State Building. You can actually watch the video on YouTube, Dr. Stephen Morris later. Not right now, because we're busy. We got things to do. But you can actually watch that on your own. You'll actually see him with a little um, uh, tweezers set down the five millimeter by one millimeter piece and then knock down to the three foot, 100 pound domino. Now, why do I say that? Because I call this the principle of the bigger yes. The principle of the bigger yes. The principle of the bigger yes essentially says that how you live your life matters and that at any moment there's a bigger yes that is driving your life and that something in this moment, you have always two choices in front of you. I guess that's four if I do it with both hands. You have two choices always in front of you. Choice number one, will I do what is most pleasing to God? And number two, I guess, what is most pleasing to God? 
Discerning that and then doing that at any moment leads to an exponential force that over time accumulates so that with each progressive, yes, I get stronger, it gets bigger, and it becomes a bigger deal as we go. Does that make sense? Let's see if I can make better sense of it. Yesterday, I had the great honor of doing a funeral service for one of our members. Her name was Diana Paul. Some of you may have been there, watched it online, or knew of her, but didn't know yesterday was the day. And Diana was an amazing woman. How, how do you, I, I struggle with this every time I do a funeral. How do you, in an hour, summarize an entire life of somebody? No matter how long that life was, how do you do that in an hour? And yet, we're standing up, and we're telling these quick stories, these quick analogies, because she was an amazing woman. She did so many amazing things. She was a young woman, two young kids. But a few years ago, she went on a mission trip with us to Mexico, And on that trip, God got her heart in a very significant way. And she told God, on that trip, God, I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. You can have me. She came back from that trip and found out she had breast cancer. And here we are roughly three years later. But the the crazy thing is, so you hear that, and we hear that, and we think, God, well, she said yes to you, and look how poorly it went. But that's because you probably don't know her story. If you were to track her life even over just the last three years, her life made a significant difference, a massive impact in the world because a progressive series of yeses kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So yes, she took her last breath on earth, but she opened her eyes on the other side, looking into Jesus's face and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the impact of, yeah, you can stop and give God the glory for that if you would like. The impact of that is going to go on and on and on for years. Years is going to reverberate for years to come. There's a guy named Paul in the Bible. We talked about him last week. But this is where our whole series is based out of this one verse. Now, I took out some of the confusing stuff. If you want to know more of those verses, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon. But here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Paul says this, For Christ's love compels us that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The whole point is, in any moment, we have to ask the question, what is good to God, what pleases him, and then, am I going to do it? And with each, each yes to God, my life and my decisions build in impact and build in capacity. Obviously, home dominoes don't give the full effect of that, but it's absolutely true. I mentioned at the nine o'clock last week, so if you were at this service or if you weren't here at all, you may have missed this because I just kind of got onto this freewheeling thing last week and I ran out of time. But last week, I talked about this guy named Peter. Peter's a really big deal in the Bible if you don't know it. We're gonna look at his life a little bit today. But Peter has this kind of story with Jesus. Jesus first kind of interacts with Peter and Peter is probably a disciple of John the Baptist. He's got some background on Jesus. But Jesus comes to him and says, why don't you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They've got a little bit of relationship going on there. We see this unfold in Luke chapter five. In Luke chapter five, Jesus comes to Peter. Peter's been up all night long with his business partners fishing and they can't catch a thing. So Jesus comes to him and he goes out in the boat and he does some teaching from just out into the waters, looking out at the shore. And then he looks at Peter and he says, throw your net onto the other side of the boat. Now, imagine somebody coming to your work and telling you how to do your job better. Would you receive that well? 
Peter decides to listen, in part because, again, there's some context for relationship. He actually calls him master in Luke chapter 5. Master means something like the one who has authority over me, like my my teacher, the one I've surrendered, that I'm going to follow your teachings. But he has no idea what he's in for. When he throws his nets on the other side of the boat, they bring in such a haul of fish that the nets begin to rip. Some theologians have estimated that it would have been anywhere for up to three years worth of a catch that would have been that strong. And he gets back to shore and he leaves it all behind. What in the world would cause him to do that? And the answer is, he found a bigger yes. His biggest yes was not ever going to be fish. But don't get me wrong, he wrestled with that. In fact, after the same Peter denies Jesus three times in the garden while Jesus is being tried for his life, and he later runs and hides in an upper room, that same Peter, when he's restored by Jesus, if you know the story in John chapter 21, Jesus is standing on the shore, and he's eating fish with this Peter, and he looks at Peter, and he says, do you love me more than these? Jesus is taking him right back to the moment where he first called him away from the fish, from the big catch, from all the money, from all the whatever it was that Jesus just gave him. Do you love me more than this? Peter says, you know I love you. Now, at the end of Peter's life, he would be crucified upside down, and it brings up a great question. What in the world could catapult him into that story? The same Peter who's cowering from young girls around a fire pit. The same Peter who, at times, even in the book of Acts, is cowering out of fear of what other people would think of him. The same Peter, at the end of his life, is crucified, and history says, possibly upside down. What could make him do that? And the answer is, the simple answer is, he found his bigger yes. But it came through a series of decisions that he made over time. And one led to another, led to another, led to another, led to another. Here's my question for you today. And this is what we're going to dig into in the rest of our time today. What is your bigger yes? Do you know it? Here's the thing. I believe Jesus, we could trust him. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're at home and maybe you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. This whole thing seems crazy to you. I know this, Jesus promised in John 14, 15, 16 that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, would be going throughout the world, stirring and moving in people's hearts and minds, applying the messages of God's word to our lives. Literally, he says the world, that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin, of the coming judgment that one day we're gonna stand before God for everything that we do and say in this body, and of righteousness. So the spirit is stirring in you, he's moving in you, and he's saying things, I don't have a clue what's going on in your life. What I wanna do though, I just wanna pause for a minute, and even if you're at home, I wanna encourage you to do this, I just wanna ask you to let God speak into your life right now. Ready, pray with me. Heavenly Father, let our words be few, Father. So here it is. God, right now, through the power of your spirit, would you give us a bigger yes, a bigger yes to live our lives for? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I would suggest to you that if you're trying to locate what that bigger yes is, that maybe that bigger yes is coming on the heels of something you're terrified to do, something that just seems absolutely scary. Maybe it's confessing something that you've got hidden in darkness, but you're embarrassed about it. Maybe it comes to following through on something you have told, felt God telling you to do over and over and over again, and you're just afraid to take that next bold step. I don't know exactly what it's gonna be to you. Maybe it's forgiving somebody and releasing somebody of what they did to you. 
And you're carrying around a backpack of weight, but you feel like you're in control as long as you don't have to let them go, as long as you don't have to let them off the hook. Whatever it is that the Spirit is prompting you right now, listen, and if you don't know yet, hang in a little longer. That same Peter who at one point lopped off a soldier's ear, that same Peter who was hiding in the upper room, that same Peter who was afraid to look at a young girl around a fire pit and acknowledge that he knew Jesus, that same Peter on Pentecost, after Jesus dies on the cross and raised from the dead, that same Peter, he stands up and he preaches this bold sermon. It's long. In fact, we don't even have it all. They tell us in the book of Acts, he said many more things. I get the feeling somebody handed Peter a mic and he just started going, man. He just started going. I would love to do that someday. But there'd be a lot of rambling and pontificating and talking. And so they summarize the sermon for us. In, in Acts chapter two, you get the summary of the sermon. And here's the thesis of the entire sermon. You ready? And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the thesis of the entire sermon. Man, you could do hours on the name of the Lord. The name, people would invoke names throughout much of history, even still in parts of the world today, when they're in doing incantations and, and calling on false gods, and these gods supposedly have power. And Peter says, if you call on this name, this name, the name of Jesus, you will be saved. But he hasn't fully applied that. He just says the name of the Lord. The word Lord here is the Greek word Curios or curios, it literally means, now this is a very technical definition, okay? But I'm gonna give you technical so you're not ever confused about what it means for you and for me. It literally means the person to whom something or someone belongs and about whom the Lord has the power of deciding what happens with, to, for, and about them. Let's make that simpler, but I want you to get, leave that up there for a minute, make it simpler. To understand that Jesus is Lord is to surrender your life to him so that whatever he wants to do next, whatever the next domino in your life is that he wants to knock down, he has the right, the authority to ask you to do it. Who's in? Some of you are like, yeah! Oh, and it's great when it's good. I wonder if Jesus would have looked at Peter on the beach that day and said, hey, Peter, come follow me. I'm gonna make you fisher of men. Oh, by the way, at the end of your life, your arms are gonna be stretched out. Nails are gonna pierce your hands, but you're gonna do this upside down. Who's with me? I wonder if Peter would have said, ah, Jesus, I'm busy that day. I got a bunch of fish. <laughs> I got to get these home. You know, a lot of people said that to Jesus. Luke records this. I think it's in Luke 9 and 10. I got to go take care of my family. I got to go take care of my sick dad. I've got to go. I just got this new ox. I got to go try it out, Jesus. I, we come up with a lot of excuses to say no to God. And the reality is at any moment in time, you have the ability to say no. You ever try to set up dominoes? In fact, if you really want a set of dominoes, you do this once in a while, right? You leave gaps. Because if you're smart, you do that. Except for in life, if you leave gaps, you know what happens? You never get to the end. You never get to see what God could do if only, just only, you would have said yes. In order to really understand that question that, that I just said, would, would Peter have said yes if Jesus had told him the end at that point? You have to put all of the story in context. 
What if Jesus had looked at Peter and said, hey, Peter, we're gonna miraculously feed five to 10,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. It's gonna be a miracle like you've never seen. Hey, Peter, you're gonna see me raise a little girl from the dead. Hey, Peter, you're gonna see me heal a bleeding woman. She's been bleeding for years, years. Nobody can help her. She's gonna be desperate. We're gonna heal her. Hey, Peter, you're gonna even make uh, people who've never walked in their entire life walk. You're gonna see me give a blind man sight. Hey, Peter, you're gonna meet me in my heavenly form on top of a mountain. But Peter, if you walk away right now, you'll never see any of those things. You in? See, if you were to know your worst day today, you might have got out too. But if God told you all of the glory that awaited you on your last breath, if he told you all of the God moments that you could be a part of between here and there, would you press forward and say yes? Peter actually had a moment like this. Jesus was always saying crazy things. In John chapter six, Jesus stands up and I think the crowd has gotten too big. He wants to kind of drive it down a little. So Jesus says something like, hey, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you can never come to God. And people go, ew. In fact, we learn in John chapter six, verse 66, that actually many of his disciples, Jesus had many disciples, they left him that day. Why did they leave him? The teaching was too hard. Jesus is saying all this weird stuff. I don't even understand what he's talking about. And he looks at Peter and some of the disciples who become apostles, and he says, hey, you gonna go too, Peter? And Peter is probably just as baffled as everybody else. You kind of get it in the text, but he's like, I don't know where else to go. Because one minute you're weird, but the next minute you're amazing. And I don't know where else to go to get the words of life, he says. To whom else will I turn? Well, I don't know where the story is going. I know that here in this moment, there's been a series of yeses that I've said up till now that means something. And I'm not ready to walk away. At Pentecost that day, that's what the festival is called. What would happen at Pentecost, to see, if you would just go through Hebrew history very quickly, during this diaspora, the, the Jewish people, as God sent in um, Nebuchadnezzar and he sent in the Babylon and he sent in the Medes and the Persians and all that stuff, they were dispersed, diasporaed throughout the world. But a couple times a year, they'd have these massive holidays and these people would come from all over the world back to Jerusalem to celebrate. And this was one of those kinds of holidays. And people would stay with aunts and uncles or cousins or whoever it might be. And they would gather together and the Holy Spirit comes on this day, and that's when Peter stands up. Now, this is the same Peter who was once scared for his life, and everybody will be saved if you believe in the name of the Lord. Well, he goes on, and I'm just going to show you bits and pieces of it. Acts chapter 2, verses 23, he says this, the man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. This man he's talking about is Jesus Christ, and God's foreknowledge. In other words, God knew all along that this was going to be the path. And if God knew all along this was going to be the path for Jesus, do you think that God knows all along where your story's going to? See, the question is not, can we, does God know? The question is, do we trust that God in his knowledge knows what to do with our story when we hand it over to him and say, I don't need to be God and in control anymore. You can be Lord. He goes on. He says, and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In other words, what Peter just said is, look, y'all killed him. You did it. But 
God didn't let that be the end of his story. Jesus says many times, I could have taken up my own life. I could call down legions of angels right now and I could end this whole thing, but I don't. I just take the right next step. Peter goes on in Acts 2.36, he says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Well, we already told you what Lord means. We know we're talking about Jesus, but this Messiah word, what is that? Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. They mean the same thing. They both mean anointed one. And if I could summarize a really big Bible topic for you in a nutshell, basically, it means this. Um, This is the one, Jesus is the one who was prophesied about for centuries. God told you he would send him. He gave you a lot of clues about what he would look like and what he would do when he got here. So when Jesus showed up and he's crucified on Passover, he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. When he died on the cross, he was taking our sins upon him so that when he raised from the dead, he now has the power to give us life. And that's crucial to understanding something. Power to give us life. In Acts chapter one, Jesus has told the disciples, go into the city and wait for me because I'm sending power upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them this is coming. The same power that has been in me, the same power that rose from me from the dead is now going to be in you as believers of God. This was not new to Peter. This was always part of his story. This was always part of his journey. At one point, there's a rumor mill about Jesus, and Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says, hey, who's everybody say I am? And the disciples are like, "Eh, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets, I don't know. Jesus is like, okay, filter through all the noise. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I want to know my closest friends, the ones that I've been pouring my life into, who do you say I am? Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He actually says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, and I love this because he's always like a speak first, think second kind of guy. I can relate with a guy like that. And he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, the Messiah. You're the prophesied one. We could say it this way. Jesus is both savior and Lord. He is both the one who brings us back into a right relationship with God, but he's also the one who wants to be now ruler and king over our life. This has been really important to me, and this is where I'm going from here and where we're gonna go next week. I didn't mind at the beginning of the pandemic saying, you know what, nobody knows what this is or where it's going. We need to make wise decisions to protect our church and our community. But I've spent the better half of the last four months saying, what is a church? And I'm still wrestling with it. I don't have everything worked out, but we're gonna deal a little bit with it today and a little bit next week. But I just want you to hear some things that I'm kicking around in my head right now, and here's why. I do believe that a church could be a small group of people, two or more gathered in a home, even possibly watching a screen with somebody teaching, hi. But it can't only be that. A church must be more. How do I know? Well, look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, you didn't just think this one up on your own, Peter. God's spirit is moving. Oh, by the way, God's spirit is moving in this room right now. He's moving at home through a TV screen or through a computer screen or through an iPod or pad or whatever it is, and he's speaking right now. The spirit is doing that. He's revealing things. The question is usually, are we embracing? 
Does God say it's good and am I gonna do it? Matthew 16 though, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is huge. And I've said this before. It's like one of my favorite subjects in the world. On this rock, I really believe Jesus is talking about his name. He's not talking about Peter specifically. The fact that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that is the rock that all of our lives are built on. But the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Meaning, yes, Peter, I am going to build something with you and through you. It's called my church. The word church here is the word ecclesia. It literally means the gathering of followers. Again, there can be two followers, there can be three followers, but it can't just be me and my, and my family. There has to be something about a mission. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So something is compelling me to live, to do, to not simply just get together and consume, to watch a teaching or to watch a message and to say, oh, that was great. Great job, pastor. No, there's something compelling me to act, to make a series of decisions that make a difference in this world. And it's my obedience to saying yes that is the difference between whether or not we knock down Empire State Buildings or whether we stay at beginnings. Put up the picture of the castle wall, if you will. This is actually inside Jerusalem. City gates are right here. I don't know if you know this or not. Do you know what gates are used for? They're not to keep people in. Gates are used to keep the enemy out. You keep some ramparts and some high places in order to shoot arrows or whatever um, off at the enemy who's advancing. Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church. That means there's some ground we're supposed to be taken. That means we're supposed to be storming those gates. Those are his gates. Those aren't our gates. Remember that prayer God put, put a hedge of protection around us. I love the Christian comedian, I can't, Tim Hawkins. Like, what, is Satan afraid of shrubbery? Like what in the world is going on there? But see, that's been the mode of the church now for a long time. God put a protection around me so nothing bad ever happens to me. Jesus said the opposite. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Storm his gates. Take what he thinks belongs to him. Who's the he? It's the enemy. Plunder him. Take back what belongs to God. You can't do that sitting in your family room watching a TV screen. Oh, you could start there. You can't end there. Church, please do not shrink back. Please be compelled by the love of God. Because Jesus came and bound the strong man so that you could plunder his house. And those are Jesus' words. I didn't make those up. Take back what belongs to God. But that means saying yes today. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too will receive the power of the resurrection in you. 
well, I'm interpreting what he means, but that's exactly what he means. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead that is in me right now, that same power will be in you. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. I don't have time to get into the Trinity in, I'm gonna do it in five seconds, which means it's not gonna make any sense. I'm not sure I could do it for an hour and I would make it make sense, but I know this. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's the living, active, giving force of God. He's the person that speaks to us from God and he's to God for us. Like he speaks to us for God, he speaks to God for us. And he's the power of God in us who have surrendered to Jesus Christ. And that comes as a gift. You can't buy it, you can't earn it. You can only say yes. How do I say yes? You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. You turn from sin. When we repent, what we're doing is we're making an active decision. Jesus, today I make you Lord of my life. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, I'm 43 years old and Jesus is still revealing ways that my wife needs to repent. I'm just kidding, honey, I love you. Listen, I'm making a joke because the vulnerability of saying this is still hard. Jesus is still revealing ways that I need to repent. But I made a decision at 12 years old, 31 years ago this coming December, 32, no math in Bible college. And that decision said, Jesus, whatever you want from me, I'm in. I'll go. It's not always easy. Sometimes Jesus tells you, pack up, uproot everything you know, move from Colorado and come to Indiana. Okay, I'll go. Sometimes it means taking on big challenges or financial sacrifice. Okay, I'll go. You know what? Sometimes Jesus says something and I'm like, no, I didn't hear you. Because my flesh gets in the way and Jesus has to wrestle me to the ground and say, I told you to do this. You can say no. but you'll never see the transfiguration. You're gonna miss the feeding of the 5,000. You're not gonna get to see him fill a net with fish. It'll probably be easier for you. I just wanna tell you right now, you want an easy life, don't say yes to God. Don't do it. If God were to tell you everything he wants to do in you, if you say yes, you'd probably walk away today, but maybe, maybe there's an empire state building. You know the analogy Jesus uses? It's a mountain. He says, anybody who says to this mountain, crumble into the sea, if they have faith, it will. He's not talking about literal mountains. No Christian in the history of the last 2,000 years has made mountains crumble into the sea. He's talking about things that seem so big, so insurmountable, that they can't be done apart from faith, but in faith, every mountain must crumble. And Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Before I close out, and we're close, okay, I need to say this. Some of you need to take your first step, your first one. You need to quit playing around. You need to quit making excuses. You need to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. I said, if you're ready to do that, you can respond right now, even at home. I don't even care if you're listening to this sermon a year from now. You can respond. All you have to do is text the word connect to that number. 317-565-4911. 
You don't need me to tell you how to receive Jesus, but we wanna make sure you understand what you're doing. We wanna schedule a time for you to go into those waters. If you're at home, you can't see what I'm pointing at, but my right is a baptistry. We want you to join those 3,000 believers that day who gave their life to Jesus, became filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and watched what God could do in their life. Now, before we end today, and this is where I'm gonna go next week, I'm just telling you ahead of time. While a church can meet in a home, there are many churches who do this. While a church can start with your family, it can't end there. Right at the end of this text, what happens is 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus, but there's hundreds of thousands of Jews in the city. That's a very small number when you do the math. And what happened is some of these people who gave their lives to Jesus went home and they had to look their mom, their dad, their aunt, their uncle, their spouse, their kids in the face and go, I believe Jesus is the Lord. And they start thinking they're crazy people. Bad things start happening in the rest of the book of Acts to these believers. But the believers launched a church. Here's what it looks like. Acts chapter two, verse 42. These new believers, they gathered together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing here every Sunday. We're just opening up God's word saying, God, what do you want from us? And the fellowship. We're gonna talk more about those things next week. To the breaking of, and I added this word, the breaking of the bread. I think we're in the wrong. The breaking, ah, here it is, the bread. This word actually isn't in there. But it's in there in the Greek because this literally is referring to this. They broke the communion bread. We'll get to that in one second. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They didn't have any buildings. They broke bread in their homes. That's generally food. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They plundered the enemy by being the church. Do you hear it? We can do the same thing today, 2,000 years later. But it all begins with a choice. What I'm gonna do right now is ask you to take out your communion. Let's be like the first church. If you haven't had the joy of doing this yet, there are two parts to this. If you yank up on the tab, you're gonna wear the juice. Gotta get the bread out. We're not gonna pray before this. We're gonna pray before we take the juice. Listen, when Jesus came down, he incarnated. He became God in the flesh. Then he went back up to heaven. He said, now you're my body left behind. That's why Paul goes around. He's like, the church is one body made up of many parts. It takes all of us to be the church, the gathering, the fellowship of believers. Let's take this bread, and whether you're at home or in the room, remember, this is about us together. Carefully open your juice here. Remember in John 6 when Jesus said, eat my body and drink my blood? This is what he was talking about. This is not just a ritual. Please don't think this is just a ritual. This is us remembering and celebrating and drinking our salvation, our redemption. This is us taking in this juice that represents the blood of Jesus saying, thank you God for doing for me what I could not do for myself. But as we take this now, I'm gonna start a prayer and I'm gonna hand it to you and I'm gonna ask you to just pray, talk to God. Remember we started our prayer earlier? God, what's my beer? Yes, what do you want me to do right now? 
I'm gonna boldly ask for God to speak in you and then wrestle you to the ground and get you to let go, okay? And then I'll come back, I'll say amen, and we'll take the juice together, so just hold it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if you have not yet already spoken, Father, would you do so now? God, there's some in this room that need to let go of something. Perhaps they need to forgive somebody they've never forgiven. God, there's somebody right now listening at home and they've got something they need to bring out of darkness and into the light so they could be right with you. So people in this room, Father, who sense you calling them to be wildly generous, but their fear of not being able to buy the thing they want to buy is keeping them from doing it. Father, whatever it is you're speaking into our lives, whatever act of surrender and obedience, would you help us to get our flesh out of the way so that your spirit could lead us? Be our Savior and be our Lord. Go ahead and pray. stand and give glory to our only God and King. Look forward to seeing you next week.